This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. A bit of sleuthing on the way with Sam Spade. The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective was a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade, created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Loreen Tuttle as his secretary, Effie, and took a considerably more tongue-in-cheek approach to the character than the novel or the movie. The series was largely overseen by producer-director William Spear, in 1947, scriptwriters Jason James and Bob Tallman received an Edgar Award for Best Radio Drama from the Mystery Writers of America. And here's a little interesting bit of trivia for you. Dashiell Hammett's name was removed from the series in the late 40s because he was being investigated for involvement with the Communist Party. And later, when Howard Duff's name appeared in the Red Channel's book, he was not invited to play the role when the series made the switch to NBC in 1950. So let's see what Sam is about to do, and he'll impress us tonight, I'm sure, with the episode entitled Hot 100 Grand Caper. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again. The choice of men who put good grooming first. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Uh, this is Sam, Blackleg Spade, the third most dangerous gambler on the Barbary Coast. Oh, Sam, not horses again. Horses, women, and the gaming tables, Abby, the diversions of the elite. Well, divert yourself with this, Sam. The phone company has sent a pink notice. Ah, uh-huh. pay it no mind, sweetheart. We are healed. We have hit the cashier's cage, annexed the pot, broken the bank, and we're standing on velvet. Sam, are you sober? Uh, definitely velvet. Mm. Warm, too. Sam, for where are you calling from? You're wrong, Effie. It's a drugstore. Stay where you are. I'll be right down to deal out my report on the hot hundred grand caper. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. Date, 
uh, September 19, 1948, to uh, robbery detail, San Francisco Police, Attention Sergeant Walsh. Uh, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596, uh, dear Joe. Here's the rundown on that hot hundred grand. It started pleasantly enough when my secretary, Miss Effie Perrine, cute little mouse, eased into my private office, closed the door behind her, and leaned back against it with that air of pained resignation, which generally means there's a customer outside that she doesn't approve of, but that I'll see her anyway. It's up to you, Sam. She's very well dressed, and I imagine she can afford you. How do you, uh, deduce that? Oh, she dropped her purse. I didn't get time to count it all, but there was a hundred-dollar bill on top. Oh, sure, in, Effie. Sam! Go ahead, say it. Oh, I don't know, Sam. Sometimes, well, there's just money. No. No, that's one of the reasons I hire you. What's the matter with it? Nothing. That's just it, Sam. She's very good-looking, mm-hmm. cultivated, and very kind and considerate. And she seems sincerely troubled. You mean her act is a little too good? I felt that too, Sam. Thanks, Angel. I'll keep that in mind. Tell her to come in. All right, Sam. Mr. Sage will see you, Mrs. Kilcorn. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me, Mr. Spade. My pleasure. Uh, won't you sit down? Oh, thank you. <clears throat> I'm Lorraine Kilcourse, Mr. Spade. It's about my husband, Leonard Kilcourse. Husband? Oh. We've only been married a short time. It was a quiet ceremony at the San Cedro Mission. Mm-hmm. Leonard didn't want to subject me to any publicity. The difference in our ages, you know? You mean you want me to keep it a secret? Oh, no. No, except for the newspapers, of course. Naturally, all of Leonard's friends know. Oh, he doesn't have many, from what I've heard. I thought it strange, too, that such a prominent man should have such a small circle of acquaintances. I met him only a short time before I married him. He's been very kind and absolutely devoted to me, and I suppose I should feel ashamed of myself for for coming to you. But there are so many things about him that are mysterious that sometimes I... I can't seem to find my handkerchief. Here. Clean it. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I uh, take it you're not a San Francisco girl. No. No, I met him at a dude ranch. Well, uh, maybe I can clear up some of your mysteries for free. The reason your husband doesn't have many friends is because they keep dropping dead. I don't understand you. Ah, forget it. He's a big public servant. He's built a lot of sidewalks. The streets of the city are paved with his good intentions. His name is on a thousand manhole covers. If the names of his former business associates land on headstones, it's nothing to me. I got my own racket. Well, what? I think my husband is paying blackmail to someone. Uh Uh-huh. And upon what do you base your suspicions, Mrs. K? It started about a month ago. He began withdrawing large sums from our joint account. First was 10000 then then 20000 and last week, 50000 and, and this morning, he closed out the balance of the account. $100,000. Well, he's got it to spend, Mrs. Kilcoy. Well, I won't pretend the money doesn't interest me, but what's behind it, Mr. Spade? Each time he withdraws these cash sums, he leaves the house without a word to me. And sometimes doesn't return until dawn. My husband is not fond of nightlife, Mr. Spade. Only a desperate situation could induce him to leave the house after dark. <clears throat> yeah, so I've heard. They say that's how he kept his health as long as he has. All right, uh, you want me to trail him, find out what he does with the money. Just one question. Why'd you pick me for the job? I, I, why, your reputation... That's I mean... local. You say you're new in San Francisco. 
Well, I, I do read the local papers. Your picture was in only two weeks ago. Yeah, well, that cave didn't help my reputation. I like your looks. A nice, honest face. A man I could trust. Well, don't buy that. And I'm sentimental, too. Your picture reminded me of someone who was very dear to me. My brother. Of course, you're nothing like him, really, but, but you do look alike. I suppose that sounds like a silly woman's reason. Yeah. What's your address? Well, I have a little place of my own now on Divisadero. The Belvoir Apartments near Normandy Terrace. Mm -hmm. You'd better keep in touch with me there. I don't want Leonard to know. The Kilcourse Mansion is at 1316 Clarendon. 1316. He returns from his office around six in the evening. Do you have a car? No. Do I need one? Well, I don't know where he may go. I hear the keys to my car. It's parked in front of the main entrance, a gray Plymouth. He won't recognize the car. My, my, my brothers. Now, about your fee. A hundred bucks now. If I need more, I'll leave you now. I had an uneasy feeling I would need more. The last detective that tried to follow Leonard Kilcourse had hospital insurance. I don't. But I'm a gambler at heart, so I parked Lorraine's Plymouth across the street from the Kilcourse mansion and waited. At 9 and a p.m., Mr. Kilcourse, much, much too old for her, came out the front door and flagged down a taxi. I made an illegal U-turn and followed. The trail ended across the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. It was a country club-type building on top of a hill overlooking the bay. It did business under the name of Ernie Nogales' Racket Club. The racket had nothing to do with tennis. It came from two sources. The moans and groans of the customers losing money at the roulette wheels and crap tables. And the glad hand the management threw at my quarry as I followed him in. Mr. Kilcourt, nice to see you. Since when you go out of the dock? Well, I thought a little nightlife might agree with me, Nogales. Oh, 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 that sounds like you, Mr. Kilcourt. I didn't know you better. I think you was afraid to go out night. <laughs> well, now, I was thinking of buying this place to retire to. Ah. But I figured it'd be cheaper to win it at your roulette table. What's your limit here? Ten thousand. But for you, wide open. The sky. A hundred grand for a starter? Well, any time they got you with hot money, Mr. Keith. I'm over the cashier. I sell you the chips myself. <laughs> I didn't have to bother making myself inconspicuous. Everybody in the joint stopped playing to watch Kilcourse while he shoved his hundred grand roll through the cashier's window and scooped up four stacks of thousand buck chips. Make your best All right, you. Spin that wheel. Huh? How much you got there? Twenty-five grand. Any objections? Is that okay, Mr. Nogales? Uh, spin it, Joe. I'm covering through the table first. Okay, sir. Around and round the little ball goes. Fifteen pages, fifteen and the red. Maybe next time, Mr. Kilcourt. Why don't you double up, play the red and the black? Safer. I'll stay with the numbers. Fifty thousand on fifteen. There. Spin it. It's okay, Joe. I'm still covering. Well, it's your money, Mr. Nogales. Number four page. Number four and the red again. Twenty-five grand more on fifteen. Uh, look, Mr. Kilcoles, go on, enjoy yourself, take it off your income tax, but please spend those, spread them out a little there, those chips, huh? 
Looks bad for the house. What kind of a joint is this? Can't you cover the bets? Okay, Joe. He asked for it. Okay, I didn't wait to see where the little ball went on the last spin of the wheel. I would have made a side bet with any taker that Kilcourse wanted to lose that hundred grand. I would also have made book he knew I was following him. As I left the table and walked out of the club, I braced myself for what usually comes next. There would either be a dead body in the car or somebody would crease my noggin with a sap. But nothing happened. I switched on the headlights and stood in the glare of them for fully a minute, but nobody even shot at me. I flushed the shrubbery. No gunman. Checked the ignition wires. No booby traps. Driving back to town, I racked my brains in some way to bring them out into the open. I felt like a man with his life savings all on one number waiting for the wheel to stop spinning, which wasn't far from the truth. Not much of a cliffhanger, but the best we could do this week. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. To the hot hundred grand caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Yeah. Uh, this uh, Mrs. Kilcross's apartment. Yeah. She here? Yeah. Well, uh, can I come in? Yeah. Come in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is this is the detective I was telling you about, Tommy. Remember? Yeah. The one who looked so much like you? Yeah. No. Oh, excuse me. This is my brother, Tommy Lane. Yeah. I mean, uh... Tommy, won't you run down to the corner and buy me some cigarettes for about 20 minutes? I have something to talk over with Mr. Spade. Yeah. Nice boy, your brother. Small vocabulary, but big feet. He's shy. Now, what did you find out about Mr. uh, My husband, Mr. Spade? He uh, dropped a hundred grand in a gambling joint. Ernie Nogales' racket club. You know it? No, but I know Ernie Nogales. I knew him in Reno before I met Leonard. He lost his license there for running a crooked wheel. The way Kilcross is playing tonight, that wheel didn't have to be crooked. He was trying to lose that hundred grand. But why? Why would he do a thing like that? One of two reasons. Either he's paying off to Nogales or he's paying off to somebody else and Nogales is the go-between. Well, I don't believe it. Ernie is a crooked gambler, but he doesn't touch blackmail. And your husband isn't stupid enough to drop a hundred grand in three turns of a wheel. Anyway, I'm not tangled with him and or the Ernie Nogales mob for a hundred bucks of your money or anybody else's. Here, take it. Well, but... here are your car keys. No, no, wait, please. You, you can't desert me now. Why not? Well, I haven't told you everything. I'd hoped I wouldn't have to. About your brother? How do you know? The only place you get a green suntan is in a pokey. Besides, the act's kind of stir-crazy. Spent a little time in solitary, didn't he? He won't talk about it. But that's it, Sam. That's why Leonard is paying that blackmail money to Nogales. Uh, You just said Nogales wouldn't touch blackmail. Any other corrections you'd like to make in your copy before we proceed? Yes. Well, I might as well tell you everything. Why not? 
I knew when I came to you this morning that my husband was paying this money to Nogales. I knew because I asked him to. You and Annie Nogales are working together? I'm not that rotten. I didn't say you were, but you're a rotten liar. There's that much in your favor. But I'm telling the truth now, Sam. You must believe me. Everything that has happened is my fault. I persuaded Nogales to give my brother a job in his place in Reno. Mm -hmm. They quarreled, and when he got closed down, he, he blamed Tommy. He swore he'd kill him when he got out of prison. That's why I begged my husband to pay him to save Tommy's life. Who did write on the gallus about that crooked wheel at Reno? I did. That's why I feel responsible. Leonard is so fine, so so generous. But I can't let him go on paying for my mistake. Yeah, like you said, he's going to run out of money. Look at me, Sam. Do I look like the kind of a woman to whom money means everything in the world? No, but you're looking at me, not at Kilcourse. You're laughing at me. Oh, I know what you think. Perhaps I did make a mistake in marrying Leonard, but he was so kind, so considerate, like my father. Everybody reminds you of your relatives. You don't believe my story? Well, since you asked. Well, all right, then. Here's the truth. I'm really Jack the Ripper's granddaughter. My parents were terribly wealthy. I harpooned my mother in her Beverly Hills swimming pool, set fire to my father with a $50,000 negotiable bond, and eloped with John Wilkes Booth. That brings us up to 1865. Shall I go on? Don't stop. It's great. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here and leave me alone. After you've told me all your secrets, I'm not that right. You won't help me. You never intended to. Why go on torturing me? Oh, now, stop. Please, please. I, I believe you. I believe all your stories. Now, uh, what is my next smart move? Sam. And the only way to stop Ernie Nogales is to prove that he's running a crooked wheel. Let me pay back all that blackmail money in. And he wouldn't dare lay a hand on Tommy. Well, it's going to be hard to prove and expensive. Oh, but... I'll have to lose a little on that wheel before I can figure the way it's rigged. How much can you invest? Well, I, I have about a thousand dollars of my own. Will you? Yes. Here. You take it. Mmm. Smells nice. Sam. Yeah? Sam, after all this is over and after I've put things to right with Leonard, I should have told him before this, but I owed him so much. I, Oh, Sam, I'm so glad it's you. Yeah. Me too, Angel. Go now, darling, before I beg you not to. What time does that joint close? Well, well, it runs all night, I think. Good. Let's stay up late and raid the icebox. Around 2 in the a.m., when I low-geared the Plymouth up the long, steep driveway to Ernie Nogales' racket club, backed into the parking space nearest the road with a car headed downhill for a quick getaway, just in case, and I went in. The joint was still going full blast. I bought 500 bucks worth of chips, swag it over to the table where Kill Course had dropped his hundred grand and nonchalantly flipped the blue chip onto the red. Appalachia, ladies and gentlemen, make your game. Okay, that's all. Around and round the little ball goes. I didn't look to see where the little ball went. Most of the money was on red, so it was bound to turn up black. A red, please. What? Number 15. Raise your best, please. Make your game, ladies and gentlemen. Around, around, around. The chips were spread around more the next turn, so I stacked the hundred at the bottom of the one to thirty-four column. With a crooked wheel, my hundred made it the best bet to lose. And nineteen, and the red wins again. Hey! 
I plunked $500 on number five and raked in $17,500. I left my original bet on the table. When the little ball fell into the pocket, I was $35,000 for the good from my point of view, but not for my clients. I doubled my bet and looked apprehensively around. There were no surly characters edging up behind me. In fact, the only surly character in sight was Ernie Nogales, and he looked happy. That didn't make much sense. When my bankroll got to 105000 I played a hunch. I threw five grand of it back on the table and lost it. That made a kind of sense. I cashed in the rest of my chips and squeezed the hundred grand U.S. currency into my inside pocket. If anybody aimed for my heart, it was thick enough to stop the slug, which was some comfort. But what I saw when I walked out to the parking lot was no comfort at all. I'd gotten just a glimpse of it through some trees. A sedan backed into a driveway halfway down the hill. It was blacked out except for five glowing cigar ends that showed through the windows. I can think of only one reason for five cigar smokers to be parked in that particular spot at that particular moment. The Plymouth is where I had parked it, pointing straight down the hill. I slammed the door but didn't get in. And I listened. The car down the hill was getting ready, too. I cracked the door of the Plymouth wide enough to get my arm inside and pressed the starter with the heel of my hand. I switched on the lights... Just a clutch with my left hand, used my right to shift it into low, and I pulled the hand throttle out all the way and let it go. Talk, no, Gallus. Please, don't wave that heater. It makes me nervous. I don't like God. I don't either. That's why I'm here. Put your hands on top of the desk and keep them there. All right. Give me back that roll. I give you clean money for it. It was a gamble, so I lost. Can you blame me? Where'd you get this money? I buy it. Fifty cents on the dollar. I don't ask where it came from, but I read the papers. I figured it was that ship row, that shipyard payroll job a few days back. Like it just fell in my lap. I figured it'd make 50 grand instead of kill course five. I guess that was dirty trick you just out of stir, Tommy. Huh? I got news for you, Nogales. I didn't know this money was hot, and I'm not Tommy Lane. No? Then what? Private Dick. Tommy's sister hired me to take the fall for him. Look, I uh, got most of the caper. Kill course wanted to pay Tommy a hundred grand. You rigged the wheel so Kill course would lose it one night, and Tommy would win it back the next night. Now, uh, what was Kilcos paying him off for? No caper, legitimate. He was sent up for bribing a public official. You mean he was the payoff man for Kilcos's contracting firm? Sure, legitimate business. The grand jury went out after Kilcos. Tommy took the rap, that's all, for a price. Yeah, a hundred grand. Thanks, Nogales, that's all I needed. Afraid I might be too late. You are, sweetheart. Oh, I have so many things to explain. Where, 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 where can you talk? Right in here. But who's this man? Why, that's your old sweetie from Reno, Ernie Nogales, remember? What's the matter with you two? You oh, crazy? Oh, Sam, I should have told you the truth from the beginning. Check. Well, Nogales, Jan, I can understand, but why did you tell me you were Kilcross's wife? I was desperate. I had to say something. It was the only explanation I could think of for my interest in this case yeah. without telling the truth. But you were making a pigeon out of me. I don't know about such things, Sam. All I know is I'm here in time to warn you. 
You mustn't walk out of here with that money. Listen. And they kill you to get it back. They already did. They're combing the wreckage of that car right now, looking for my body. Then Tommy was right. They did mean to kill him. How did he get the room? While he was in prison. From another man that killed Corse Framed. He was in for life, so it was safe for him to talk. Hey, you... Oh. Yeah, Nogales? That car that just drove up. I think that's Mr. Kilcoff. Oh, Hey, what's your hurry? Come on, what's your hurry? Tommy's out there in that cab. I've got to warn him. Let's tip off kill course. Which is it? No, Sam, you've got to believe me. Sit down. Stop that. You two have fun. I'm getting out of here. Go ahead. Now, uh, listen, sweet Lorraine, you may as well save your breath for those explanations. You're staying right here until the cape is all wrapped up. Here he comes. I have it come, Sam. Yeah? Well, you do better have it ready. Mm-mm. But Sam... Where's Nogales? I want to see him. Uh, he was called out of town, sir. I'm in charge. Uh, you must have killed Cors? That's right. I want to know why you people have been interfering with my business. It might interest you to know that this building site's on an old Spanish land grant. Title's very shaky. I'll run an eight-lane highway straight through the middle of it and turn the rest of it into a game preserve. That's what I do to people who double-cross me. I tried to tell Mr. Nogales that, sir. He wouldn't listen to me. He tipped Tommy off for a split of a hundred grand, but I knew sooner or later we'd have to answer to you, Mr. Kilcourse. Oh, what's that? Here's your hundred grand, sir. Count it. Well, 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 well. What's your name, son? Sam Spade, sir. Well, I'm glad to meet an honest lad. Well, come along. Now, you too, young lady. We'll all walk out together. Sam, what are you... Sorry. What? Uh, Spade, huh? Yes, sir. I'm a private detective, but I'm ambitious. Hmm. Politics? Uh, yes, sir. Well, we'll run you for assembly. In the meantime, I believe there's an opening in one of the public services. Garbage disposal. Executive end, of course. Where the devil is that man with my car? Oh, there he is. Now, you drop around to my office in the morning. Thank you, and good night, Mr. Kilgore. Yes. Drive on, Horace. Back to the city. Oh, Sam. How could you? Hmm? All those lies and, and just handing over the money like that. It, it wasn't yours. It wasn't Tommy's either, sweetheart. Get in. Well, Tommy, are you all right? Yeah. Drive us across the bridge, Tommy, will you? Yeah. Tommy. Yeah? Tommy, I'm afraid we'll have to do without the money. Yeah. Sam gave it to Mr. Kilcourse. Yeah. Now, now, don't get excited, Tommy. I'm sure Sam had a reason. Didn't you, Sam? Yeah. I mean, that was Mark money from a payroll job. Oh, then it won't do him any good. It'll send him up for a good long stretch if the eyewitness story that goes along with it is good enough. And you're just the girl to tell us, sweetheart. Am I uh, right, Tommy? Yeah. <laughs> Period, end of report. Already? But, Sam. Yeah? What happened? Who were the five men in the car, the ones who shot at that Plymouth in the mistaken belief that you were in it? Their names are of little account of. He suffice it to say that Kilcourse pointed his pudgy finger at them in the hopes of keeping the charge of attempted murder out of his indictment. But I was too clever. I identified them. But, Sam, you didn't see anything but their cigars blowing in the darkness. Have you never heard of Sherlock Holmes' monograph on the 49 varieties of tobacco ash, you oh, fool? Oh, but... Sam, Sherlock Holmes is only the segment of someone's imagination. He's a fictional detective. Well? You mean... Oh, Sam, you're tired. Yes, I am. It's affected your mind, winning all that money. Now, you just sit here and rest. What? Think of the snowy mountaintops and Uh, blue skies. mm -hmm. I'll just go and type this down. Snowy mountaintops. Winter sports yet. And 
not that it made any difference, but how did you guess that she wasn't Mrs. Kilcourt? Simple. Kilcourt didn't recognize her. But Sam, that was after you denounced her. I did no such thing. From the report, Sam in black and white. Quote, why did you tell me you were Kilcourt's wife? Unquote. At that point, you assumed that she was not Mrs. Leonard Kilcourt. I did not. I merely wondered why she had told me. Well, with all the lies she told, you might have assumed anything she said was totally devoid of truth. And I did, sweetheart. I did. Oh. Oh, well, that's a relief. I was afraid for a while she'd taken you in. What's that got to do with the truth? Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Sadie Thompson appeared as Lorraine Kilcourse. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dow. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Score composed by Renee Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie, it keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie, it's made with silver lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie, start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie, keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy, get Wild Root right away. Stay tuned for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis as they guest on the Bob Hope Show. Time now for the Bob Hope Show. Well, I want me too. So do I. How about you? Yes, it's the new Swan Show with our great singing star Doris Day. Well, I want a new comedy team sensation, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Irene Ryan, the four hits of the miss, and the new left round band. We swan exclusively. How about you? Yes, how about you? Who, me? My name is Robert. You can break me in two hope. And now, Bob Hope, one dive view of the news. Washington, D.C. radio's giveaway programs were under fire this week as the Federal Communications Commission hear arguments against banning them from the air. Yeah, they'll give away anything nowadays. The other night, Fervor McGee had to buy back Molly from a guy in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I can't understand why the government is cracking down on giveaways, though. After all, President Truman's been on the road three months now trying to give away... <laughs> of course, political speeches have been crowding the radio so much it's very confusing. At 10 o'clock yesterday... Portia was facing life wearing Truman's glasses and Dewey's mustache. <laughs> the Republicans have been accused of overconfidence. I understand Dewey just placed an order with I.J. Fox for a mink mustache. And Earl Warren keeps going into Washington bars and yelling, Orange juice for everybody. <laughs> In 
fact, one night last week, they caught Earl Warren trying to squeeze a grapefruit on the Capitol Dome. <laughs> Los Angeles, California, the yearly convention of the American Congress of Surgeons met here this week to evaluate the progress of medical science during the past year. 7,500 doctors, that's a lot of camel cigarettes. <laughs> One of the surgeons met an old patient of his in the hotel lobby. It was a touching scene as the MD ran over, clapped the fellow on the back, and exclaimed, Well, well, long time no saw. <laughs> See, there were surgeons. <laughs> the bellhops aren't too enthusiastic about this convention. One of them carried a doctor's suitcase upstairs, held out his hand. And before he knew what had happened, he had his pulse taken, a mole removed, and donated three quarts of blood to the Red Cross. <laughs> a Swedish doctor caused a sensation at the convention by demonstrating a mechanical heart run by electricity. Can you imagine the future? A man with a mechanical heart getting a letter from the electric company that says, unless you pay your bill, we'll have to cut your heart off. <laughs> And the new scientific instruments they have now are unbelievable. they got microscopes that are so powerful, you can not only see the microbes, but you can actually hear them. I looked into it, and there were five germs marching up and down and singing, Good health to all from Rexall. <laughs> and the druggists are all excited about a new remedy called Vuma-Seltzer. It has a thousand times more fizz than Alka-Seltzer. You just put a tablet in a glass, pour water on it, then run outside and drink it as it comes out the window. <laughs> Hey, hi, what's this? Somebody parking their car right in the studio? Oh, relax, Bob. This isn't a real car. It was just a sound effect to remind everybody about Lever Brothers' big new contest. Listen. Well, it sounds like an interesting contest. What do you do, mail in the top of a pedestrian? <laughs> no, Bob, no. All you have to do is mail in a wrapper from a cake of swan, and you have a chance to win a new 1949 Mercury. And tonight, we have the first winners. To Mrs. Catherine Kelly of 2115 Freemansburg Avenue, Eaton, Pennsylvania. A new 1949 Mercury. To Miss Harriet D. Young of Lexington, Kentucky. A new 1949 Mercury. To Mrs. T.W. Lyons of Atlanta, Georgia. A new 1949 Mercury. To Cecil Earl Williams, Hospital Corps, United States Naval Air Station, Key West, Florida. A new 1949 Mercury. Congratulations, winners. And remember, folks, there's still plenty of time to enter. Lever Brothers is giving away a Mercury a day every day until November 19th. That's right, a Mercury a day plus $1,000 in cash awards daily. There's a new contest every day except Saturday and Sunday, and you can enter as often as you please. All residents of the continental United States, including Alaska and Hawaii, are eligible. Just be sure to follow the complete rules printed on free entry blanks at your store. Here's all you do. Finish the following statement, I like swan soap because in 25 words or less. Then send a swan soap wrapper together with your name and address to Lever's Mercury A Day Contest, Post Office Box 3, New York 8, New York. Well, I swan. A Mercury A Day. He wins. That's right. By Cracky. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the beautiful Doris Day and the four hits of the mist for their treatment of hair of gold. Doris front and center. He came down from Butte, Montana. Like cherry wine, the prettiest gal he ever knew, and 
job on that song, Doris. You know, I was thinking about those musicals you make over Warner Brothers. It's too bad they haven't got a good-looking fella to sing with you. But, Bob, I just finished a picture with Dennis Morgan. Dennis Morgan? You mean Jack Carson's mother? <laughs> the kind of a fella you need in those pictures should be handsome and magnetic, and he should have a voice somewhere in between Perry Como and Andy Russell. Oh, I know, Bob, but a fellow as perfect as that is too much to hope for. Well, that's what my parents thought, but it happened. <laughs> You mean? Yes, I have so much more than Gregory. Why should I fight it? Oh, Bob. Bob, hmm? I would love to be in a picture with you. Oh, and that reminds me. My dramatic coach, Miss Ryan, wants me to thank you for taking her on that tour through Paramount Studios. Well, I was glad to do it, Doris. And it was easy to arrange because I'm the most important actor over the, you know. Well, now, that's very odd. They told Miss Ryan that the most important actor was Alan Ladd. Paramount said that? Yes. Well, I'll get even with them. Just wait till the next time they want me to Simonize Sabu's elephant. <laughs> Come on, Bob. You know you love working over at Paramount. Oh, I don't know. Pictures are all right, but they're so make-believe. It's a shame the way they fool the public. How? Well, for instance, everybody thinks Gary Cooper's a tall man. That's because they always give him something to stand on before they shoot a scene. Well, he certainly does look tall in pictures. What does he stand on? Crosby. <laughs> And that's quite a lump, you know. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart, there's another fake. Humphrey Bogart? Yeah, you know what a rough mug he's supposed to be? You see him in a picture and he says, stick him up in your hands, you rat or I'll drill you. I'm the toughest guy in town. Well, isn't he tough? Doris, Loren Bacall told me that when he comes home at night, she has to rub him with alcohol before he can mash the potatoes. <laughs> Bob, Bob, you're making this whole thing up. I am not. Wait till I tell you about Charles Boyer. Now, there's nothing wrong with Charles Boyer. Oh, no? You know how he got his lower lip to hang down like that, don't you? When he goes to bed at night, he buttons it to his pajamas. Miss Ryan now. Yeah, now, for heaven's sakes, Doris, don't ask her about her ailments or we'll be here all night. Okay. Hello, everybody. Well, I'm improving. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> Yesterday, I felt lousy. 
But today I had a good day. Mm-hmm. I just feel kind of rotten. <laughs> so what's the matter, Miss Ryan? Well, I haven't been able to sleep for the last three nights. It's so cold here in California in the evening. But I thought you bought an electric blanket. Yes, but those things are kind of tricky. When I first got it, I turned the heat up too high, and all night long I kept dreaming I was a Friday. <laughs> well, didn't you roll over? Why didn't you roll over? Oh, I couldn't. I always sleep sunny side up. <laughs> but no matter how bad I feel, I'm cheerful. When I get up in the morning, I smile through my agony and I say, I just hope I live through this day. And do you? You know, uh... You know, Doris was telling me... Sometimes I wonder whatever happened to my vitality. Oh, it must be crawling around someplace. <laughs> Doris was saying... Just... Oh, I'm serious, really. I used to be a real live wire. Well, those fuses don't last forever, you know. <laughs> Miss Ann, I was telling Bob how much you enjoyed your tour through Paramount. Oh, yes, Mr. Hope. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but I sort of fell in love with one of those young, good-looking leading men over there. Ray Milan? No. <laughs> Barry Fitzgerald. <laughs> He's got such pretty blue eyes. Every time he looked at me, I could feel the corners curl on my mustard plaster. <laughs> Well, did you get acquainted with Barry Fitzgerald? Well, I tried to. I wanted him to know that I'd seen him in pictures. So I walked up and said, going my way? And he said, yes, eventually, but I have to take two more harp lessons. Well, the next time I see Barry, I'll put in a good word for you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Hope, but... Say, do you think that he'd like me any better if I dressed real girlish? You know, with a peasant blouse or a sweater? Miss Ryan, aren't you trying to flag down the super chief with a burnt match? (laughs) Well, so long, everybody. Tonight, the Medical Association is putting on a radio quiz program. I want to be there because they're giving away a free autopsy. <laughs> Goodbye. Yes, sir. There she goes. She'll probably spend Halloween bobbing for aspirin. <laughs> By the way, Doris, what are you doing Halloween? Well, I have a date with High Everman. Hey, look, here he comes now, and he's wearing a yachting cap. Ahoy there, you landlubbers. Lower your gang plank. I'm coming alongside. Well, if it isn't the Moby Dick of the kitchen sink. <laughs> hey, you look like you've been out sailing high. Well, a man like me can't resist the call of the open sea. I spent the weekend at Malibu. I love those trade winds blowing through my hair and the refreshing salt spray on my face. Do you have your own yacht at Malibu? No, he's receptionist down there on a live bait barge. <laughs> He gets $12 a week and all the fish heads he can smuggle out in his pants cuffs. Oh, gee, hi. It must take a lot of courage to go out in the ocean. Well, you see, Dora, sailing is in my blood. My great-grandfather was a sea dog. My grandfather was a sea dog. My father was an old sea dog. And then came me. Well, the luck couldn't hold out forever. 
A water spaniel have to get in there someplace. Don't pay any attention to him, High. Say, tell me about some of your seagoing ancestors. Well, Doris, my great-great-grandfather was a famous old pirate. Honestly? Yes, old cutthroat Averback. Why, they still talk about the time Captain Kidd and his bloodthirsty crew attacked my great-great-grandfather and boarded his ship. Well, box my compass. <laughs> there was Captain Kidd and my great-great-grandfather. <laughs> Yes, sir. There they were, Doris. It was there, and I delivered it. (laughs) Okay, take it. Like I've been saying, Captain Kidd and my great-great-grandfather were there in a hand-to-hand saber duel. Finally, finally, Captain Aberback dropped his weapon, and he was at Captain Kidd's mercy. He had to show him where the treasure chest was. The pirates opened it. They threw the diamonds and rubies into the sea. Uh And then at the bottom of the chest, they found what they were looking for. What? What? A cake of swan soap. He had to go around Cape Horn to get it, but there it is. Yes, Swan is that new, better floating soap. Made by a modern patented process no other soap can use. It's better for dishes because Swan gives faster, harder-working suds. Suds that rinse away so completely, dishes don't need wiping. And as Captain Averback was struggling there in the water, whipping up those rich, creamy suds, suddenly, from out of the mist, there appeared a life raft with two men on it. What were the Lever brothers doing out there? Captain Averback's rescuers reached out and pulled him onto the raft by his soft white hand. Soft because he used swan. Naturally, swan is better for hands. Mild as the finest castiles, with richer suds that protect your hands. Yes, swan's exclusive process makes it better for dishes and hands. For baby, for bath, for you. So break swan. See how you get two smooth cakes that are never rough or crumbly. It's another way to prove Swan is a better white floating soap. Well, shiver my soap dish, I Swan. Me too. Yes, sir. That's right. Bye, Cracky. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight our guest stars are those sensational young comics, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. But there's a story connected with how they get on our show. The other night I went over to Slapsy Maxie to see Martin and Lewis about coming on the show. And as I walked into the club, they were in the middle of the rack. Dean Martin was singing. Everybody loves somebody sometimes. Everybody falls in love somehow. Something in your kiss just told me. Sometimes is now. Everybody finds somebody someplace. There's no telling where love may appear. Something in my heart keeps saying.
thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that about winds up our show, and uh, I'm pretty sure my partner, Jerry Lewis, would like to say a few things, huh? I'm, I'm, I'm awfully glad you called on me, and because you let me be out here with you like this, I appreciate it. You what? I said by you calling me like this, I appreciate it. Why do you keep the words up in the air? Let it come down. There's a period there. You, you would say, I'm going to the corner, not, I'm going to the corner. Oh, well, you talk your way. I talk that way because, listen... <laughs> Stop being foolish and say goodnight to the people. In a nice way, huh? Yes. You folks have been very nice to us, and I would like to say that we appreciate the way you received our work, and I'd like to say, as far as an audience is concerned, you folks have really been without a doubt. <laughs> Boy, it's really a relief to be back in the dressing room. Yeah, I'm beat. We really worked hard tonight, didn't we, Jerry? With that audience, we had to. What was it with those people? We're doing our act and they're eating. They just sit there eating and eating and eating. You know, Dean, it made me stop and think. What about? I'm hungry. Uh, listen, Jared, did you see that guy sitting in the front row with that big funny nose? That's a no. Yes, uh, that was his nose. <laughs> I thought it was his date. No wonder she had two holes in her head. Yeah, that nose was a real brute. Did you see the waiter come over and ask the nose if it was ready to order dinner? <laughs> I wonder who the schmo is. Did you get a load of that, that funny outfit he was wearing? Top hat, white tie, and bare feet? Yeah, and he really was tipping. He was throwing bars of soap around like a drunken laundryman. But you know something, Jared? There was something familiar about that guy. I've seen him before. You have? Yeah, wait a minute. His name is uh, Bob, uh, Bob, Bob, uh... Bob Montgomery? No. Bob Taylor? No, but you're getting warm. Bob Ristanwick? No. <laughs> Bob, uh, Lou? Jerry. Bob, uh, Lou, uh, yeah. Bob, uh, Lou, uh, yeah. Bob, uh, Lou, uh, yeah. Jerry Lewis. That's who it is, Jerry Lewis. No. How could it be me? How could I be on the stage and in the audience at the same time? Oh, Jerry, please. I remember now. Mm. It was a hot summer day in New York. I had just come out of the doctor's office. The doctor had just told me the news. I had only 70 years to live. <laughs> I had to cram a whole lifetime. It's only 70 years. I thought of all the wonderful things I wanted to do. Paris, Rome, London. Get a haircut. <laughs> Your head's coming loose again. Jer, <laughs> I just remembered who that guy in the front is. Hey, there's somebody knocking on the door. Oh, there's a clever deduction. <laughs> will you please go to the door, Jerry? Okay, I will. Promise to write me while I'm gone? Yes, every day. Well, that'll be sterling. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Who's there, boy or girl? Bob Hope, answer the question. <laughs> well? <laughs> Hi, I'm Bob Hope, and I, uh... Beat it, kid. No autographs. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Jerry. Uh, come right in, Bob. Uh, I'm Dean Martin. This is my partner, Jerry Lewis. Jerry, Bob Hope. Bob Hope, big deal. <laughs> you can't just barge in here, bud. We're not bums, you know. Didn't you see the sign on our dressing room door? Sure, it said gentlemen. 
we insisted on that. We like a lot of wash basins. <laughs> well, you... <laughs> you know, I just caught your act, fellas, and I thought you were great. Say, Dean, you know when you sing, you sound just like Crosby? Well, I've been sick. <laughs> sing better than that with both that noise time behind my back. Please, boy, who'd you ever sing with? Who'd I ever sing with? Are you for real? He's asking me. <laughs> Go ahead, quick frozen. Read. Go ahead. <laughs> Tell me, who'd you ever sing with? Well, Kate Smith, just to name a few. Yeah. Just get a load of some of this thing, will you, hey? Rising where the moon High up on the midnight blue Stop. Sounds like this kid was frightened by the Andrews sisters. <laughs> One at a time. Hey, what kind of crack is that to make? What are you, a wise guy or something? I'd punch you right in the nose if I wasn't afraid your nose would punch me back. <laughs> Look, don't take it out on me, Pumpkinhead, just because your hair got singed when they put the candle in. <laughs> now, look, fellas, as I was saying, I thought your act was really fine. I was wondering if you'd like to do a guest appearance on my show. What do we need with radio? We have everything two good-looking young American boys could ask for. Lights, music, caviar, champagne, sen-sen. I love life and I want to live. Hey, Dean, like me another cigarette. I swallowed the last one. <laughs> Jerry's got a point there, Bob. We're doing pretty well in nightclubs, and besides, we're a little bit afraid of radio. Oh, there's no reason to be afraid of radio. Look at Al Jolson. He'd never have his own radio program today. He'd still be working in a nightclub if he hadn't taken the advices of his friend Abe. Abe Lassfogel? No, Abe Lincoln. Fellas, I tell you, <laughs> I tell you, you can't miss on the air. Well, I'm sold, Bob. How about you, Jerry? No, I will not go on the air. And if you try to force me, I'll throw myself down on the ground and kick. And if you want to go on the radio, you can go on by yourself, Dean Martin. All right for you, so there, too. <laughs> Oh, what's the matter with you, Jerry? Everything I say to you goes in one hole in your head and out the other. Look, Jerry, why don't you forget about being a comedian? Get married and have a few kids. Don't wait until it's too late like your father did. <laughs> Say, Dean, why don't we go off by ourselves where we can T-A-L-K without the K-I-D? Well, he's pretty hard to L-O-S-E, but we can T-R-Y. Hey, you guys, cut that out. I know what you're doing. What? You're spelling. <laughs> what you say. I'm not going on the radio. I hate the radio, and if you make me go on the radio, I'll swallow my skate key. Well, we pay our guest stars $5,000 for a guest shot, and if you guys work out, you can come back for five more shots. And I want mine with soda. <laughs> <laughs> I put one over on him, didn't I? Wasn't that a fun... Ain't I the shifty one? All right, so it's all said, Jerry. We'll do the Hope Show. Yeah, we'll do the Hope Show. Oh, swell. Well, I'll see you Tuesday, then. Sure, why not? We'll send you the ticket. <laughs> Don't mind him, Bob. When uh, we were kids, we were playing jacks one day, and the car fell down on his head. <laughs> have, you, have you guys got any material you can do on the radio? Well, we've got a song that we sang once before with a girl, but you could take her part. Oh, fine. Is it a good part? Is it a good part? Here's the music. Just come in every place that says Hildegard. <laughs> I 
looking over a four-leaf clover that I overlooked before. One leaf is sunshine, the second is rain. Third is the roses that grow in the lane. No need explaining the one remaining is somebody I adore. I said I adore, I mean adore really means... <laughs> This kid sounds like you're Nick McDonald with a half Nelson on Eddie. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said, Dean? Hold me back. Hold me back. Why should I hold you back? It itches. <laughs> I'm looking over a four-leaf clover that I overlooked before. There goes our hooper that I overlooked Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's our Miss Brooks, followed by Gunsmoke. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.